This is TV Podcast Industries talking about Star Trek Picard, Season 2, Episode 3, Assimilation. Back, fellow trekkers, trekkies, and trekking enthusiasts. This is TV Podcast Industries, and we're talking about the third episode of Star Trek Picard Season 2 Assimilation. I'm one of your hosts, Chris, and I'm joined by my illustrious crewmates, my chief of operations, and my chief of security. Gentlemen, please introduce yourselves to our guests. Am I chief of security because I hold all the passwords? I don't recognise any of those. I always <laughs> thought I would be chief scientific officer. I, I oh, that up. probably. Well, I, I, chief of operation is definitely our producer extraordinaire, yes. Derek. There you go. There you go. Yeah. The engineer. Yes, <laughs> I don't I, think I would be very good on security. You could be. You could be, John. No, you could be. I really wouldn't. No, see, you're technically, you're the red. You're the red shirt. Oh, that means you have thanks. <laughs> You're the sacrificial lamb mm. for us in command. <laughs> well, there you go. I am one of your co-hosts, Derek. Hello, and I am one of your other hosts, John. Yes. <laughs> Hello, fellow Trekkies and yes, Trekkers. Yes. Great to be back for the third episode of Star Trek Picard. It really is. Um, it is definitely a show that is heating up. It is a show that has the buzz is increasing Kind of as the, the, the episodes go forward and, uh, obviously we were recording this slightly ahead of the, the release yeah. of the show. I was surprised in a good way with the, the overall enthusiasm that the, the premiere got over, yeah. across kind of the buzz, the social media, um, and the actual backing it got from a lot of the cast members, mm-hmm. which didn't just feel like your standardized, Kind of PR, marketing, social media play. Mm-hmm. These fe- these felt a bit more personal to a lot of the cast. I think yeah. kind of we're like, hey, here's some behind the scenes. I'm not supposed to show you this episode eight eight still, and I'm like, <laughs> why did you show me an episode eight still? <laughs> <laughs> well, they, well, they clearly enjoyed uh, filming this season, and they also clearly enjoy working together. This cast, yeah. Um, yeah. you know, I suppose it's it's a big event series. We kind of haven't spoken about it much, but. Star Trek Picard in itself, obviously the return of Patrick Stewart is a big thing, but it's also a three-season arc. Um, there will be a third season of the show, but that is the end of the show as well. Uh, they're, I think they're in filming right now for season three. So, so at the moment, they're kind of getting together for the final time. Yeah. And the show is finally being released to the audience because there was a big delay with with the COVID filming um, and the the gap that's in there. So they're fu- everybody's finally getting to see the work that they did all together, and they're all together for the final time as well at the moment. So uh, yeah. so it must it must feel like a big moment for them when everybody gets to see that that premiere. So it's been it has been fun watching their socials. Definitely. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And uh, as of recording, like we're t- we're doing this on the 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 fifth of March um, next week is a lot of the last weeks. So we've had a wrap 
episodes kind of happen for or wrap days happen for a number of the actors right they're sending those photos today was my last every day on set for picard season three that's a wrap on me or Mm -hmm. that's a wrap on x person or y person um and you're seeing those as well and so apparently next week is the last right official day on sets um and then it's fully wrapped and going into post-production post-effects all that fun in game so Mm -hmm. they're way for Further into production than I assumed. Right. Which right. is great. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. But we're here, not here to talk about season three, are we? No, no, no. We're here <laughs> to talk about season two mm-hmm. and more importantly, episode three, assimilation. Mm-hmm. So, gentlemen, let's jump in. Let's dive in. Let's go back to the, let's go to the future and then go back to the past. There you go. And go to the past about talking about a future episode. There we are. Really confusing. <laughs> yes. With all that, Derek, do you want to tell us who gave us what with the episode details? Of course. Yes. The writer for this episode was Kylie Rossiter and Christopher Monfett. Uh, we mentioned Christopher Monfett last week. He was one of the writers in episode two. And Kylie Rossiter was a season one writer's room assistant for Star Trek Picard and has now got a writing credit on the show. So, Great stuff. Uh, I, yeah. love, I love when people yeah. move uh, along the uh, the writer's path in this show yeah. uh, and in any of the shows that we cover. It's really nice to see people staying on board and kind of using their experience that they would have learned on the show in the past to aid in writing a major episode for the show. Uh, and nothing more major than this episode, I think, because you have such big moments with such big characters. So, uh, so well done, Kylie. Yeah, yes. definitely. And this episode was directed by Leah Thompson. Yes, that Leah Thompson from Back to the Future. How interesting is that? That is, that, that's a nice little sort of, sort of, uh, joining or collision of the stars yeah, isn't it really isn't it? i think that's yeah. really 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 cool um she has many many credits to her name uh, over the many many years but i haven't uh, i haven't seen her direct any star trek episodes before but it was really fun seeing her post pictures of herself in the director's chair for an episode going back in time <laughs> cool as that uh, john do you want to tell us what they gave us with your synopsis for episode three of star trek picard assimilation sure as Seven, Raffi, Picard, Jurati, and Rios work together to escape the Confederation, the Borg Queen connects herself to La Serena and transports the crew to 2024. The power used to travel through time and the gravitational pull of Earth causes La Serena to crash land. At the crash site, the Borg Queen has entered a stasis and diverts all power to her recovery. Needing to obtain more details on the exact time and place in 2024 Los Angeles, as well as how to find the elusive Watcher, the decision is made that the Queen must survive, but at a cost to Elnor, who dies in Raffi's arms when he succumbs to his injuries. An angry Raffi transports out with Seven of Nine and Rios in an attempt to track the Watcher, while Picard and Jurati stay on board La Serena. In a dangerous move to reawaken the Borg Queen, Jurati is partially assimilated so that she can extract the information about the disruption to the timeline, which impresses the Borg Queen. Elsewhere in downtown Los Angeles, with Rios injured and separated from Raffi and Seven of Nine, the two of them manage to make some headway to find the Watcher, but Rios is arrested as a suspected undocumented migrant by ICE officers. Well, there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Ice, ice, baby. <laughs> I, just, I had to get that in. Just anytime I hear it, I'm like, do, 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 do. 
That's their corporate jingle. That is. I, I, anyway, let's get into what can only be described as an interesting episode. I, I, uh, I was just going to say that, remember, Vanilla Ice was actually sued by Queen for ripping off their tune for that song back in the 90s. And um, Chris... Uh, you definitely wouldn't be getting a copyright strike from Queen for using their tune. <laughs> Everyone thinks I can't carry a tune. Everyone, all of our kind of fellow trekkers and trekkies think I can't mm-hmm. do it. Secretly, it's just I'm trying to get past algorithms that will give us copyright strikes. I'm <laughs> well, just just different enough that the, everyone's like, yeah, it's all right. Well, it's definitely working, Chris. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I, I'm glad it's helped. But you know what else also working? Our structure. Yes, on this Picard season, we are going through back to our kind of top three points, mm-hmm. but essentially, A, very quickly, top three moments are prime directive, the biggest moment for the episode, our medium moment, the Omega directive, and of course, our general order, which is just something we want to kind of get it in. So let's jump into our general orders, our small moments, and we'll make it so. Make it so, number one. Okay, so who wants to go first with their general order? Me, me. I, I, I want to go first. <laughs> um, my small moment is just the phaser power levels here. Um, in, you know, obviously there's a big thing that happens to Elnor in this episode, which we'll mm-hmm. get to uh, further down, are sort of directives and points of the show. But lucky for Elnor that, you know, the phaser blast coming from the, the first husband, um, you know, it injures him and it and he has quite a big hole in his chest mm-hmm. but when those phases are turned back onto the confederation officers by um the crew of la serena i mean it's effectively just complete disintegration yeah. so i was like i'm glad the first husband set his his phaser to you know a huge gaping hole in the chest uh, <laughs> sort of level rather because ultimately i guess elna's uh, demise in this episode would have well, would have happened in episode two. Uh, it would yeah. have just been kind of like, you know, a Voldemort poof moment, yeah. um, really. So it was, uh, I was just kind of, I thought that was quite interesting that uh, once the phases were set, uh, their sights on, on the bad guys, um, they went a little bit more destructive. They certainly did. Yeah, yeah. Set phasers to, oh my God, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's I. So we watch, we, we obviously don't watch these together. And I saw that and I even went, interesting. Someone twiddled with the, like the literal mm. the knob in the corner just went, crank this to 11. Mm-hmm. Poof. I was yeah. like, because I what I was expecting was just a, a, a few, a, a, essentially a, a few crispy holes in the body for these other people too. Yeah, yeah. not like literally, as you say, that that inside out melting. Like, exactly. <laughs> I mean, in fairness, I didn't see where all the phases kind of got knocked to or taken, so I didn't know which phases were being used. So mm. maybe the um, you know the turn you to ash uh, level uh, on the phaser were coming from the two guards that came with the first husband mm. and his True. was more just a I, I don't know because he wants I, I, to wound exactly he you know he wants to keep them alive ultimately and they're sort of the backup in case it really sort of goes belly up which it did and unfortunately um they weren't much use so yeah in all honesty, it could have just been that it was the two um, Confederation Guards phases that were used on, on all three of them, and so and so that's why 
they Shoot. returned oh, yeah. to Ash, and yeah. Elmer just got a, a huge gaping uh, wound in, in his <laughs> chest. So security officers have their phasers set to yeah. disintegrate effectively. Well, and I yeah. guess in the Confederation, there is no stun setting, because they're, yeah. they're, they're not really the kind of, let's stun them, um, kind of guys, really. Well, you even, you even hear that from uh, the first husband saying, you know, why do you care about Elnor? I thought... Uh, a, a safe galaxy was a human galaxy kind of thing so he is definitely of the opinion that everybody should that that is has a weapon pointed at them should be dead when he pulls the trigger kind of thing that's that yeah. that is the attitude he goes for uh what to just call out that moment as well uh how he finds out that annika is not his his actual wife um she probably should have googled his name shouldn't she yeah <laughs> <laughs> what's my full name um i don't know <laughs> cutie mccuter pants there you go honey yeah. Uh, yeah oh that's true so google is in the confederation timeline but not in the federation so google there you go. it is evil <laughs> okay right. it is the darkest yeah, yeah. timeline John. it yes. is the yeah. dark timeline so <laughs> it really is i guess facebook's there as well i'm certain <laughs> sorry there, yeah. but then then what about meta let's go really I'm sorry that's what i meant yes, meta oh yeah I, I keep forgetting meta is a thing <laughs> uh right but on that meta note uh chris Ooh. what is your um general order yeah I'm, uh mine's a quick one mm-hmm. it's as the crashing so the the ship is crashing rios is like trying his best to kind of essentially drop them safely and the decision is oh god we're about to drop into a very populated city of mm-hmm. los angeles probably not a good idea so what we have is picard takes the controls and directs them to somewhere else mm-hmm. and goes i'm taking you i'm taking us home yes this was slightly confusing yes because he crashes them into what looks like an abandoned kind of forest tree area mm-hmm. you mean a forest yes a, uh, exactly <laughs> sorry i can't see the trees I, through the forest I, I don't have, uh, the abandoned forest <laughs> the abandoned forest that's a forest yeah, yeah. there you go he crashes them into this kind of area, mm-hmm. but I, my assumption was he was taken to the Chateau Picard, yeah. but that's in a different continent. And I'm like, okay, is it Chateau Picard in California? Because mm-hmm. he like kind of moved. To, he's put basically gone to the 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 Wine Valley, and he's gone. He's basically crashed him into Napa Valley. Picard It's the Picard 2.0. Yeah. Or did he actually just completely steer them? across the globe into Paris or into France in, and drop them there. Yeah, I, I'm just not sure of this because it's, it is quite difficult to find out exactly um, what this means because, it, yeah, you're right, it, doesn't, it, didn't, it isn't laid out specifically no. in the episode and I'm sure there are Star Trek fans who are shouting at us right now for not knowing <laughs> for definite what this is. My understanding is that Chateau Picard is in Bordeaux yeah, um, there is, that was mine. There is that historical reference to the Picards being French, obviously, with Jean-Luc. Yeah. Um, and that's where I understand Chateau Picard is. But I know in the real world, there is a Chateau Picard in California. <laughs> so, in Napa Valley, in the the, way, the wine country area of California. I believe yes. so. I believe so. So when they were diverting from California and going there, I absolutely thought exactly as you did oh, they're crash landing in Chateau Picard, but I don't think they are. And I'm just not sure. I'm sure we'll find out in the in future episodes exactly where they crash landed. And he'll explain this is where his family had a, had a winery in this time or we're setting up their winery or something like that. But it 
it is quite confusing because it doesn't seem to be in the right place in the world. <laughs> yes. So I'm on the complete other side uh, from you two, whereas I think that's exactly where it is. It was diverted to Chateau Picard, mm -hmm. which is in France. Mm -hmm. um, and that was it. I mean, it was very dark, but it looked like there was an abandoned house there. Right. There was obviously the, the woods and the forest. But for me, it was, yes, they did. Because um, Rafi, Rios, and Seven transport to Los Angeles. So they don't need to be next door. They don't need to be in California. They, they're transported into the city of Los Angeles from the ship. Yep. And I just, yeah, I'm taking her home because we, we saw in episodes one and two with the, the flashbacks to young Picard, mm -hmm. it seems like the family move into the abandoned chateau. Um, because they're, they're in that conservatory and oh. there's all the, you know, none of the windows have got glass. And so, Picard knows that at this time, the chateau is an abandoned shell. Mm. So it's not going to cause any um, suspicion, I guess, because I, I with a crash landed La Serena, because I think people in Napa Valley may just have noticed mm -hmm. that, um, you know, sure. uh, and you would probably go to um, sort of, you know, just across the sci-fi streams, maybe Devil's Mountain or, or somewhere like that in, in the US. Or there's crash land in Area 51, you know, somewhere yeah. there's not that population. Yeah. And yeah. so I, I just feel that at this moment in time, Picard knew that Chateau Picard, his, their future home would be abandoned, yeah. that it would be that there's the wilderness around it at this time in terms of the forest so they can crash land <sighs> relatively safely there. I hope that's it. I, I really do hope that they've just diverted to France. It makes sense. It's a, it's a spaceship. It can travel anywhere on the planet that it wants to. It was just because they were saying, like, three seconds beforehand, we can't crash land in L.A. He takes the con, moves it slightly, and suddenly they're in a, an abandoned area. So if they've moved to France, fantastic. That explains it. <laughs> but the higher up you are in the atmosphere and mm -hmm. then stratosphere, the tinier the adjustment, the bigger the um, the, the move. Yeah. So, mm -hmm. so that's why I think Picard was quite. We've only got a short window. Give me the comm controls, right. and he does it. So that you know, they he can change the trajectory at, at which the um, La Serena crash lands. Yeah, interesting. Potentially, it is because we had the flashback nightmares to Chateau Picard, where there was an evil entity, a woman, a potential evil entity. When remember we see the the nightmare with his mother. Yeah, and yeah. he's getting pulled. What if the Borg Queen is still in Chateau Picard back in the nightmare when he joined? Mm. So the, like, that's why they're in the basement of Chateau Picard, there's a broken, busted ship. I like it. Under Chateau Picard in the current future. And when, like, literally Picard moves in as a kid, mm -hmm. the Borg Queen is there already. And that's why he had nightmares. Because the Borg Queen was, oh my god! Oh, if, yeah. if they do this, that's cool. Yeah, because then that's like exactly, and that's why, and that's why the Borg Queen knows what his mother said to him um, yes. whilst they're there. That's why that, or at least collectively, I guess it comes across because, of course, Borg can, um, you know, 
Oh my god! The, that they oh, they share good. all yeah. the 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 information. Ooh, interesting theory. Because guys, the mother was good. pulled by something, some mm-hmm. entity, mm-hmm. and potentially that's the tentacles of the Borg Queen. Okay, cool. Let's see what. Let's see if they're st- <laughs> if they're just in the Napa Valley and we yeah. got it all wrong. Oops. But now we have a great fan fiction in our head. I like it. I like it, guys. Very good. Very good. Speaking of the Borg Queen, that is uh, my um, general order for the episode, my my small moment. Um, I love how the scene where the Borg Queen falls over and um, breaks out of her chains and then crawls across the floor to Gerardi. I love how this is filmed. It really feels yeah. horrific. Like, effectively, she's crawling like some kind of insect across the ground yeah. towards Gerardi. And I love how it's filmed. I thought it was really creepy. Um, Gerardi and herself generally tends to be a quite a nervous character as well. So putting her in the scene with the Borg Queen works really, really well. Yeah. Uh, playing the two of those off against each other. And I love, you know, effectively, it's her coming back to her power. Like... They talked about it in the second episode when we came to the Confederation about them capturing the last of the Borg and that she's still really dangerous. They still have to keep her under major security until they terminate her because she's still dangerous. There's still a possibility that she could come out and form a new Borg effectively because she still has all that power within her. So that's all encapsulated in the scene of how scary it must be like Gerardi's trying to hook her up to La Serena using the equipment in the ship and then you see the Borg Queen stepping up and plugging herself in and taking over the entire ship and being in full control you know you can can hear the kind of terror in Rios as well what if the Borg Queen isn't going to do what she agreed to do with them what if she takes over the ship and kills them all and turns them into the new Borg you know it's all in this scene and played really well Um, the Borg have always been great horror characters within Star Trek for me I've always really enjoyed those episodes because they tend to play them horrifically definitely I think this was done so well. Yeah, she was really menacing in in that little scene. Mm-hmm. I, I thought it was really good. I also like that, you know, there is the menace and all that, but I did like that the Borg Queen, whether it is known to her or not, uh, has a sense of humour because yeah. there is that fantastic moment once uh, she comes back uh, sort of and becomes sentient and, and, and lucid um, later on in the episode where she says to Picard... What I want is legs, uh, but until then, I want your ship. Yeah. <laughs> and I thought that was a great line. I yeah. really, really enjoyed that uh, little bit of dialogue. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, that was my uh, my small point for uh, this episode. Lovely, excellent. So then, let's move on to our Omega Directive. Implement the Omega Directive immediately. Okay, so who wants to go first? What about you, John? Go on, yes, continue uh, the streak. I will take it. Uh, my meeting moment is the time travel, the mm. the slingshot. It's just really, you know, coming off the back of the creepy bull queen and then plugging herself in. She just takes control. I love her two sort of green missiles to the two remaining um, fe- uh, Confederation ships. Mm-hmm. Uh, it seems as though she did that with relative ease once she was plugged in, whereas, yep. you know, you got the sense with Seven of Nine, you, you got the compliment from Rios that it was a real difficult shot to take. Yes. And she just fires two of them off, uh, and we see the, the, the two final pursuing confederation ships blowing up but we we then get this slingshot um around the sun her calculating the trajectory mm-hmm. and i i just thought it was really i i just thought it was really cool uh, i loved the whole scene of them skirting the surface of the sun and yeah. um, the tear rolling around Drassi's cheek i think it was just all the different 
slow motion um, as they sort of enter into the wormhole that's been created mm. uh, and, and pop out into 2024. But also, it then some of the opening credits made sense, which uh, was really nice, where you see the ship going along kind of the grid pattern, and um, which is all the time travel, and you see the wormhole, the two parts of of the funnel, um, which then turns into that egg timer with the the Borg Queen yes, uh, in it. Yes. So it's this real nice link there in the opening credits as well. I thought, which mm-hmm. uh, finally kind of made sense uh, to to me um, yeah. where you see the wormhole turning into the egg timer uh, and the Borg Queen yeah. uh, in 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 that egg timer. So yeah, yeah it was. I just thought it was a really great moments and then also that they come out of it and you know the ship's not in a good condition ultimately yeah. and it gets caught by earth's gravitational pull um and it has to crash land and they've got power issues yeah. you know, it, it felt kind of realistic after all that stress you know you hear rios going it's it's warp eight warp nine mm-hmm. uh, and you know did they reach warp 11 that uh, not you know that that uh, that strange uh, warp level that doesn't <laughs> appear on any of the uh, digital readouts. Oh well, yes, the Lasarella goes up to eleven. Yes, yeah. <laughs> very cool. Yeah, well, it was a really good scene. Really liked it, and again, as you say, I love the fact that it takes its its major toll on the board queen as well. She is knocked out of action effectively by doing yeah. this. Um, and you know, it is a callback to previous time travel in the Star Trek world. We uh, Picard specifically mentions that Kirk has done this before with his crew and Spock, yeah, many um, times. So a few times, a few times. <laughs> but uh, but yes, really, really good to show that because while time travel is in this world, and we talked about in previous previous episodes, time travel is in Star Trek. It's not an easy thing to do, and it, it, they want to make sure that it is clear. This isn't something that you just do a jaunt back to back to whenever you need to fix a problem and it's something that takes a lot of power and a lot of effort to do so um so they they accomplish that with this scene that it is something very difficult yeah so. and, a, and a special kind of guy or gal i guess well yes. whether it's spark or the borg queen yes Can you yeah imagine? i i that was the one thing and it's always just a weird bit to me so the the the, the genius level intellect of spock was on par with in other words he can make the same calculations that a living computer essentially could mm, yeah. which is I was just I always like as soon as that was said I was like I'm assuming she could probably do it slightly faster and or better well yeah, yeah. like just in my opinion because it's a Borg mm-hmm. versus a human intellect or sorry not in this case a Vulcan intellect well a Vulcan human hybrid intellect. Yes. Excuse me. Yes. The Get, best, the getting best it both correct. <laughs> but yeah, I just, I, that was one I was like, interesting. Mm, yeah. Um, I'll jump in very quickly, if that's okay, into kind of my moment, which mm-hmm. is that Rafi and Seven are, uh, meet up in the past mm-hmm. and we kind of get a bit of, uh, I would start to say a rekindling of their, their, whatever they had. Um, kind of, they, they, they were, uh, at one point kind of like in love very much, but mm-hmm. then Seven went back to work with the Fenris Rangers and Rafi was, took her kind of, um, her piece and place across back in Starfleet. Mm-hmm. And we kind of got this, 
we got the sense that they had broken up and that there was a, there was a fight around commitment and responsibility and things like that. Yeah, it's interesting. I'm not sure whether they broke up. It was almost like Rafi was saying they were still together, but Seven was committed to going out with the Fenris Rangers and that was more important to her than the relationship. And it's kind of like they, they were on a break, let's say. Rather <laughs> they than were on they were a break. <laughs> yeah, it, it's kind of like they're still together. It's not like Seven's gone off with somebody else and Rafi's gone off with somebody else. They're still kind of together but can't be together is the way it kind of Well, it wasn't an acrimonious split you know they Mm. just decided to go their separate ways they still have feelings i think it's i think it's fairly chill shall we say okay there you go okay because i i I started to see that that this is then a rekindling because of the pain and the loss of that Mm -hmm. rafi is feeling because when we do see them up in the tower there is that what that kind of the, the what I don't I don't even know how to there was this chemistry between them that we saw in season one yeah absolutely. and then the overseas episode two we started to kind of see it like that ribbing that Rafi would give seven obviously first and foremost with like just the husband aspect mm-hmm. the yeah. married aspect like it was yeah. fun <laughs> and then this and then when they first meet up and Rafi has just um, basically. Um, almost curb stomped this guy with the the gun the glock or whatever kind of weapon a gun it was mm-hmm. uh they 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 make that joke and i'm like and then rafi's just shuts it down she's got stuff to do let's get going but up in that tower uh when they are overlooking los angeles looking for this um the, the watchers um because we're gonna see basically wathu kind of be be there Sorry, that was a Marvel joke for any of our Trekkies who uh, aren't comic book readers or anyone who doesn't watch What If on Disney+. Plus. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, moving fast on. Let's say it was a reference rather it's than a, a joke. Okay, yes, a reference, an Easter egg. There you go. Better. Yeah, there you go. Um, I started to see this rekindling and I was very happy because I'm hoping mm-hmm. that through the loss and the suffering that they kind of they feel in this throughout this season that we do get a better a better ending for these two because I well, did absolutely. always like that in episode, season one. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I suppose that's it. I think there was a little bit of criticism in season one that it got to the end of the season and you see a, kind of a hand touch between Rafi and Seven and it hadn't really been built up throughout the season. There's a year and a half later now they've had a relationship. They're broken up because they're in two different places. They're in, they're, they've gone off in their separate ways but you get the you would get the understanding that if they were on a if they were crewmates on a ship together that they probably yeah. would still have a relationship and that's kind of where they are now they're on a mission together they're able to to be together so um, yeah, yeah potentially they'll be able to rekindle that relationship that'd be nice to to have um because there's certainly love between the between the two of them yeah absolutely it was a nice moment i i also like that you know cuz we're seeing um seven uh, constantly looking uh in the mirror at herself or in her reflections because Mm -hmm. she doesn't have the Borg implants there. And so I I really like, you know, the, the, the notion of the security guard taking the picture and them looking back at it and that seven is smiling. Her, her kind of fairly severe demeanor Mm -hmm. um, has slipped because uh, in some senses, I guess, she's feeling free of that judgment yeah. that everyone makes when um from you know we saw in episode one because of the borg implants mm-hmm. so again that that was a nice thing around her own kind of 
self-awareness uh, and um her her confidence i guess uh because you know it was made a little bit of a big thing in episode one all, all the um the, the the stirs are aboard the stargazer from the other federation uh crew absolutely uh, and with the attack on la serena uh by the i guess the the pirate the space pirates that are trying to get the medical supplies that are destined for the fennec rangers so yeah so i really like this side of it as well and and for raffi i think as you say, it's that they're back together again, not necessarily in any kind of committed relationship, but they have feelings that, you know, first and foremost, they care about one another. And Rafi has just gone through a, a fairly uh, traumatic um, event on mm-hmm. La Serena as well. Yeah, absolutely. And it's an interesting concept here as well. They've gone back in time to fix whatever Q's done in 2024 and yeah. get back to, to their their future. Um Rafi's idea is that if they get back to their own timeline, then Elner's going to be there. Yes. And I wonder if Annika, this version of Seven here that's no longer a member of the Borg and doesn't have all those Borg implants, will she keep those if they get back to their timeline? Or will she go back to the way she was before and, and have the Borg implants and have all that experience? Because it would be interesting for Annika now to be human Annika, never part of the Borg and yeah. never looked at as she has been for these past number of years um by everybody else thinking of her as just a a former borg um so it'll be, that that's kind of interesting will she go back when that when they do resolve this problem if they resolve it i'm sure they will if they resolve <laughs> it uh will she go back to their time as human annika or not so so i wonder this is the, the always the difficult thing with time travel when you add it into a sci-fi show it's that kind of they even call it out the butterfly effect yeah in this and I wonder, no matter what happens, there are going to be people that poo-poo the, uh, ate the decision. So, like, everything will go, but when they go back, everyone, all things have been returned to normal. Anyone who, all things, so Seven is Borg, uh, Elnor is breathing, all of those things mm. will be back to normal if they fix the time-space continuum mm-hmm. and everything is real. Or... There is like they have made so many ruffles and like butterfly uh, beats of the wings throughout, just crashing and doing these things that there are going to be lasting repercussions. Mm. Or and so that's just the timeline. But then the question becomes: Are they there? Is their souls, their mind, their memories of Mm. what they? were and what had happened be transported back into the original bodies of them just before they leave or is it them returning and then there's two picards there's the picard of the original timeline or and the picard of the timeline who went back in time and Mm. then came back to the future so it's the it's the (laughs) timey-wimey it's a it's this you're never gonna fully no one's ever going to be a hundred percent happy with how this do because unfortunately there this is science fiction mm. and everyone has an opinion about what science fact is and how it works but unfortunately time travel is not real right as of right now so or is it chris or, or is, is it, it? yeah is it? If, one of, if one of us was a time traveler we'd be able to tell you uh, how the rest of the series plays out it's uh, true. so it's true. we're not time travelers but i suppose that, yes the, the central premise of this is that q did something in 2024 Everybody that was on that ship being attacked by the Borg that we saw in episode one 
has changed in some way. So they've all changed because of this change that happened in 2024. If that's resolved, then they're back in that moment exactly where they were. Does yeah. that mean they've literally just set the self-destruct on La Serena and they're all going to die anyway <laughs> when they get back to their timeline? Um, we don't know. We don't know. So uh, so we will, we will see that as it goes on. But it is an interesting question because Rafi's idea is if they solve the timeline, then Elner comes back. But does that mean everybody goes back to the way they were? Um, will Annika lose this human version of herself? Or is she just going to have that experience of what it's like to be human in this time in 2024? Uh, and maybe that will stick with her as, uh, as some good memories that she has. Yeah. But a good point. Really, really like that point, Chris. Very good. Yeah. Um, the one I wanted to call out is my uh, my Omega directive, my medium-sized point for the episode is Rias' story uh, in here. Um so they've been able to arrange a transport to go out and, and find the Watcher in, in L.A., where Rafi and Seven are going. Uh, Rios is supposed to be transported to an area close to them. Um, but I love the transporter malfunction that we see in here because I've not <laughs> seen one like this before. Effectively, he's transported into the middle of the air, um, a building <laughs> yeah. that probably doesn't exist for a couple of hundred years or something uh, is, is what's happened. So we see him being transported, hitting off a building, falling to the ground. And because of his injuries, he gets taken in um, by by some doctors to try and uh, try and help him out. Um, what's really interesting about this is effectively he got a warning just before leaving the ship about two things. <laughs> um, blend in and don't get arrested and don't get taken to uh, to a hospital. And effectively he's, he exactly. does all of those things. Um, there's even a reference to the fact that he's wearing clothes that would be out of place in 2024 they, yeah well they they call it out as we've just washed your weird clothes yeah i mean <laughs> it's, Re, it's rios the rebel rebelling against all the um the sage advice that ha had come from rafi yeah um and uh and seven <laughs> so uh, yeah it was really really good but all by, all by all mistake in fairness he hasn't he isn't breaking the rules on purpose of course no um, that's true but I do like like how it plays out, you know, with the, this idea that this is a um, a healthcare service for um, illegal immigrants. Nobody needs to present any kind of papers to get seen by this uh, in this place. Um, it's unfortunate that those kind of places have to exist, of course. But uh, but an interesting situation for Rios to be in. You know, there's a temptation with these kind of time travel um, concepts that it's all about fish out of water. It's all about experiencing the timeline from a future that uh, that means you have no idea what's going on here. And this is something that they did in a comedy way back in Star Trek mm -hmm. four, where the members of Kirk's crew didn't understand how the world could work like this in the eighties. So it's interesting that they take them a bit more of a serious uh, look at it with what's going on with Rios and where he is. And the fact that there is an issue here with illegal immigrants and um, ice coming in to effectively arrest anybody that's getting medical treatment and take mm. them in uh, into custody and put them in prison because they're illegal immigrants. Like that's one place you would think that they wouldn't go and arrest people who are getting medical attention, you know, but it seems like this plan of the doctor um, to treat anybody that's, that's ill, regardless of their, of their status has, has made her a target of, of ice. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I, it, it, it's, it's a, a go-to for them that they will go around these types of clinics. Mm -hmm. They'll go around to, other different um, places as well that would tend to have um, the undocumented migrants working there. So yeah. I think it, it's, you know, you can sense that. I, I, I like that, you know, she's trying to get everyone out, uh, yeah. even Rios, who, again, decides to stay back. Uh, but he's had his fingers bandaged, so the, the ICE officer um, 
it spots that and spots that he's not um, the doctor that he's pretending to be. Yeah, and um, he certainly doesn't have twenty twenty four papers telling them who he is. No, he course. doesn't. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I, yeah, this was this was good. I liked um, as well that Rios has lost his com badge. You know, he's separated from Raffin Seven, mm-hmm. so it's another kind of angle into twenty twenty four LA yeah. here uh, as well. Um, you, you're, you're seeing with with Raffin Seven that it's that kind of the the ease of acceptance within LA of uh, a, a female couple, mm-hmm. uh, and here it on the other side of it is the ease at which people are willing to think that um, migrants are are bad and yep. are a threat in some way. Um, so, it, you know, it's that different take on where twenty twenty four. Uh, is potentially mm-hmm. yeah. in, in the mindset of the the human race because we hear that as well with um with Rafi transporting into effectively a homeless uh, village and mm-hmm. uh, being being mugged and she she mentions to to seven you know she just can't comprehend a society that has so many inherent contradictions uh, within itself mm-hmm. that you know. Uh, and were that they're destroying the environment they accept and tolerate homelessness uh they accept and tolerate huge disparities in in wealth yeah, and yeah. that you know there is the warning that it does collapse and that's where for the federation comes from exactly uh, in, in in that respect so it's seeing today's world or you know near future world um, through the lens of the ideals of Star Trek, which is always that exactly. great I- idea here, yeah. as something uh, of a comparison. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So we're basically, yeah, our society will collapse at some point. Will we be alive to see it? Maybe. Or our society will go down the path and eventually create the, the actual Federation, not the Confederation. So hopefully we'll be yeah. down the lines of creating our own uh, utopian Star Trek universe. Uh, yes. Uh, do we have that foresight? We will see. We will hope so. Cool. So hold on. Quick one. When was First Contact? And uh, I, I know it was 1996, the film, but in mm-hmm. the First Contact bit, because that's when everything starts to go right for the world. Yes. That's when the Borg... Uh, tried to ruin um the creation of the federation wasn't it so that well 2063 is what my google tells me um, yeah there so you go. april 5th 2063 is when the first contact happened between humans and vulcans but the vulcans reached out to make first contact with earth once they created uh the ability to um to warp, isn't it? Yeah. Which yes. they created the uh, the functionality to, to add warp to their ship. And there is a concept that they were waiting for that moment and watching and waiting for that moment. And the person they're here to meet in 2024 is the Watcher, somebody that's watching on. Perhaps there is a Vulcan stationed on Earth in this time yeah. uh, waiting for that moment. Now, I always thought it was somebody watching from space, that they were obviously off-planet watching, waiting for Earthlings to create the warp um, functionality, but it's possible. This is this is a uh, is what I'm trying to work out. Who is the watcher? 
Yeah. Well, we, we will definitely get to that later because I, I have theories. Interesting. Interesting. I have theories. But I do like this concept in the show um, on, on my point on, on Rios going out because some of the things that kind of get left behind the way Star Trek shows are now done with 10 episode seasons rather than 22 to 25 episodes when it used to be in Next Generation. There was a lot of the commentary about um, about our world today is kind of left out or done in a much more condensed way than you used to get with two or three episodes back to back um, that were kind of connected talking about society because you had so much more time to play with in a season. Um, now, because the shows are so much more condensed, it tends to be one big story and, and some little minor stories going on. Yeah. Uh, one big thread that's talked about for 10 episodes, almost like a 10 episode movie. So it's good we're seeing you know the group break up the way they are so they can all have their own individual adventures it's not just hanging on what's Picard's story for season two now it is more about the crew this time it feels so everybody gets their moment so having Rios off here on his own not having his combat so he's not in contact with everybody yeah. else and having his own adventure and his own experience in this time is is really interesting and as uh, you mentioned Chris having Rafi and Seven on their own having their own adventure and then also Jurati and Picard back on the ship having their own uh, experience and their own um stuff Adventure. going on that we haven't <laughs> talked about yet but uh, but that's that's also interesting having them all sp- break up and have their own experiences so uh, a good use of uh, a good use of the episode i think yeah no agreed but gentlemen we have come to that time in the finally. episode finally <laughs> yes let's get to the prime directive we must face the ramifications of the prime directive Yes, well, I'll jump in here with my uh, prime directive. Uh, we've kind of skirted around the issue, but it is mm-hmm. the the big loss of the episode, uh, the death of sweet, innocent, sexy Elnor um, <laughs> from from his wounds, um, which I you know is and and has kind of you know it has energized Raffi in this episode because oh, yeah. as we've been talking about, um, you know. If they fix time, will this bring El- Elnor back? And yeah. uh, is that's the big question here. Yeah. Uh, in the same way as will Seven have or not have her her Borg implants mm-hmm. if they fix the timeline? And so th- th- there's huge stakes now uh, resting on this. Not just about not just the wider stake of correcting the timeline, so um, an entity such as the confederation doesn't evolve um it th- through society mm. but also because of the close relationship between Raffi and Elnor I mean we saw this all through the first two episodes you know that their little tic tacs between one another yeah, really um, mother and son yeah really mother and yeah. son this is you know a deep loss for Raffi and I thought this was really n- nicely done you know it, it felt like a big punch it felt like yeah. a big emotional punch yep. and of course surrounding this is the the decision being made uh, around how to um harvest the remaining power of la serena to direct it to allow the Borg queen to kind of come out of her stasis uh, mm-hmm. and sort of i guess deep sleep or whether to keep it um in the medical bay of La Serena so that uh, it can keep Elnor alive. Uh, and, you know, the decision is made uh, that they need the, the Borg Queen to get the the information around the exact 
moments and place mm. uh, within LA 2024, but also potentially to to get back to their own time, yeah, yeah, uh, their moments in time, and so you know, this this causes and it's you know it's germinated. A, a, a nice little moment of of tension mm-hmm. between Rafi and Picard here again, and we saw that in season one between the two of them as well. So yeah. uh, this this is kind of uh, an interesting uh, consequence of, of the death of Elnor as well. Yeah, um, yeah, and it, and it is a consequence. It's not as it's not as specific a decision as do we keep Elnor alive or do we direct power to the Borg Queen. That, that, that's that seems to be what's Ra- what Raffi is saying is you didn't have power to keep Elnor alive, and now you're making the decision to give all of the power to the ship to the Borg Queen. So it's not like Picard said, "Let him die. We need her alive." Thankfully, because that yeah. would have been a big change for his character. No, exactly. Done it. But Raffi's um, so consumed by the loss of Elnor and because they were trying to make sure the ship didn't crash and, and they all didn't die in a, in a in an explosion um she was left on her own without enough power for the uh the equipment to keep Elnor alive yeah, exactly. so um so yeah it's her loss that's making her that's putting the divide there and giving her this massive push to complete their mission as soon as possible and maybe that means Elnor is alive. But I do like that moment where she's talking to Jurati and saying, you know, does this mean if this is resolved, you go back to our time and Elnor is alive and Jurati's going, well, I don't know. I, I, yeah. I can't say for certain that's possible. But Rafi effectively pushes that out of her mind and she's going to do the only thing she can, which is complete this mission and potentially that might tell about Elnor. Yeah, and it, it's the chance, isn't it? So for yeah. Rafi, this is her working hypothesis for yeah. what she needs to do. And whether it works or not will will become clear through the, the remainder of the season. Mm-hmm. Um, and ask for the show to lose someone like Elnor because yeah. he is the kind of heart we said last season, this, uh, this young character who's finally joining Starfleet, um, the first ever full Romulan in Starfleet. It's quite a big yep. thing yeah. to to kill him off in this episode. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Um, so I really hope he does come back. Um, I, I don't want to see Elnor out of the, the you know, the three-season arc. And, yeah. you know, this is before halfway, ultimately, yeah, of, exactly. of Picard as, um, you know, a whole series. So, uh, yeah, it, it, it's really it's really uh, a big moment here. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that's my... Prime I, directive. Yeah, yeah. I was shocked. Yeah, yeah. I think we even said it last at the end of the last episode. Would they kill off Elnor? And and yeah. all of us kind of said, Nah, they wouldn't do that. <laughs> no, because he was so sad. He was the he was the audience. He was the fan of Picard who knew all of Picard's exploits through his bio- biography. Yeah. He was the the young and enraptured kind of wide eyed audience member. Like every, yeah. but he was also. Beyond that, kick ass in a battle because mm-hmm. Picard can't fight. Yeah. Like, that's the problem. He's a 90 something year old man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, you can't have Sir, Sir Patrick Stewart break a finger, pretend punching someone. <laughs> so you put, you, you put Elnor in these kick ass battles that, mm-hmm. like we saw in episode two, yeah. where like he keeps taking all the punches and then gets told, all right, now you can go have your fun mm-hmm. and has his fun. Um, so I was like amazed that they did this, mm-hmm. 
And more so, amazed that they did this so soon, because I don't think he's coming back. I, I think... They, Stop they... it, Chris. We won't hear any kind oh, of Oh, no, no, but let like me that. give you the rationale, right? <laughs> you, you Essentially, there's no stakes then. Like, that's the problem. Like, you've removed the stake. In that, it's the whole thing. If you want to kill someone, they should stay dead and the consequences should be there. <laughs> that never happens in any no, major no, property. it's true. Yeah. But it's comic... <laughs> like, if you think of comic books, I much... Like, comic books, everyone, no one stays dead. Yeah. Like, yeah. that's the problem. And, and I think... sci-fi and, as well. That's, that's and do you dislike yeah. comic books? No. Right, but, <laughs> but I I much prefer it from a dramatic story standpoint, the consequences of this action kind of reverberating out, which is that kind of continued loss and emotional torment on Rafi as a character, Mm. because it will drive more. Honestly, it drives, it's going to drive more conflict and from conflict breeds great dramatic scenes Mm. and story. Well, I will say I'm kind of, in between here. So it's Star Trek. It's a science fiction show and usually quite hopeful and positive. Yeah. So from that side, I'd go, it's quite likely Elnor's going to come back. But I'm kind of on your side though, Chris, because I'm not sure Rafi's hypothesis could be correct. Elnor was there and he was killed. If you're dead, you're dead. So if they go back and fix the timeline in 2024 and go back to their regular timeline... Elnor is still dead. He's a member of the the crew that's there and he's dead. So yeah. how does he come back? But then if they fix 2024, then the timeline where he was killed, the person who killed him doesn't exist. So oh, yeah, hopefully this that is restores Elnor. So I, I'm, I'm kind of in between the two. I'm really hoping that we're going to get Elnor back because of the character being uh, as cool as he is. I want, to, I want to see him in the show, but I'm just not sure whether Rafi's hypothesis that this will definitely bring him back is going, but, is going to be correct. But, Especially that's why Dr. Girardi has so much concern about saying that's definitely yes. going to happen. I agreed. But even if... Because you're right. In the timeline, he's dead. Mm-hmm. Um, going back in time will not necessarily bring him back because mm-hmm. that's his... His past is also now his future. Exactly. And yeah. so... But... What we got to remember is whilst the time travel might not bring him back, there is um, the the synthetics. Um, There is we we've seen it with Picard. He dies. Didn't think you were going there, but yes, that's he dies and yeah, yeah. he has been brought back. Uh And most people are still, in fact, you know that that's the interesting thing. I think at the moment that possibly I'm just not. getting from Picard this season so far is because he ultimately is a synthetic with all his memories. And I, I, you know, there is the, the higher level philosophical question of whether this is still Picard, but everyone is quite comfortable with it. It is, Mm -hmm. even though biologically, um, yeah, it's a synthetic. And so there is the possibility of that route, I guess, if yeah. there is what's <laughs> needed to do that. And that yeah. might be the ultimate reason why he doesn't survive is because, you know, Picard was in the right place at the right time for a very quick transfer of 
all that information into yeah. the synthetic. Elna is now dead, and there's... Yeah. You know, I, I now see the final episode of season three of uh, of Picard is basically the entire crew of La Serena are all now synthetics going off as, as a <laughs> ship full of synthetics. Everybody's died and has been replaced by synthetics. I, I wasn't expecting you to go there um, on possibly well, that's how I did. Uh, Elnor is going to return. <laughs> um, I'm not sure whether they'd use that because there is the little bit of a joke um, in Star Trek Picard that... Yeah, Picard is a synthetic, but we don't have to mention it because he's a synthetic yeah, exactly. that has exactly the same history in him, exactly the same medical issues, except for the one that would kill him on that particular day, and he will live the exact same lifespan that Picard would have lived. He has no extra abilities, no extra strength, yeah, no extra yeah. ability to read faster or do anything that Data was able yeah. to do. He is just simply a synthetic, exact replica of Picard. So... <laughs> I, I'm not sure whether they'll get out of the path and replace another character on the show that way. I do think what's going to happen is they fix the timeline. Melnor comes back. I think that's that's likely what's going to happen. Well, unless I hope the actor so. has moved on to another project. Yeah, maybe. And this is a yeah. way of writing out of the show. <laughs> so the only other thing we keep forgetting is Mr. Clicky Fingers. Q. So yeah, and there's there's Q. Exactly. And literally, they could go back in the past, fix the fu- fix the past, get back to the future. Elnor's still dead. They they they've done Q's games. They played Q's games, and then Q at the end goes, "You've here's your prize." Click, and then Elnor is back with them. That yeah. could be it. Like Maybe. that could literally yeah. it will be. Well, there was no real stakes, but okay, let's let's move forward because the games Q's games are games. I you see, I don't mind the no stakes with Elnor because I feel the team that is here in Picard is phenomenal and there's enough points of conflict Mm -hmm. or emotion or uh, happiness and joy that can be created um ultimately Mm -hmm. from this group in various different ways so um i just think he's a great addition because ultimately we really just have that all humans and he brings that other species into the that grouping. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I know it, it avoided by, by putting him out of the show here and killing him. It did avoid having to have that discussion of why a Vulcan or a Romulan is walking around in 2024. Yeah, exactly. Um, LA. So they don't have to have that explanation for why his ears look different and his eyebrows look different. So, uh, so they have avoided that from a writing standpoint. Good way. Do you know what's another way? Just a beanie. <laughs> well, a yeah. beanie that covers his eyebrows and his, or you go, it's LA. Mm-hmm. Yeah, people could, are a bit weird in LA. Good, <laughs> exactly. Go. He could set a new trend. Exactly to get cosmetic pointy ears and shaped sort of frowny eyebrows. But we do have a challenge in the character of Elnor. Remember, absolute candor, so he can't lie. So right. yeah, exactly. he wouldn't even be able to give the explanation that, you know, I went into a tattoo parlor and had my eyebrows tattooed like this. And then uh, then I've gone down the path of turning myself into uh, a pointy-eared uh, looking uh, person. So he True. wouldn't be able to say that. Everybody else would have he to explain that for him. Um, but anyway, a big loss uh, of the character. I do hope he comes back in, in the season, or at least in, at the end of the season four, yeah. season three. It would yes. be would be really really interesting. Uh, you did mention Q there, Chris. Um, I'll I'll pop in with my uh, prime directive just because I love the that moment with Rafi attacking Picard. Q 
will be omnipresent for the season, even if he's not on screen. We only see a quick flash of him in here uh, in this episode where he's saying to Picard, um, this is how you like it, isn't it? This is the this is you back at the helm of an adventure, effectively. And that's it. That's the only moment that we have of Q in the episode. But the attack from Rafi on Picard and what his relationship is with Q, I thought was really interesting in this episode. Effectively, Rafi saying to him, you and Q play your games. That's all you're doing. Yeah. And everybody else pays the price around you. Um, so while you're saying that we do have Q and he could give a prize of bringing back Elnor, that's a very unlikely thing for Q to do. It's kind of, that's the penalty you have paid would be more what Q would do with Picard. Um, you played the game and you lost one of your crewmen. That's your punishment almost yeah. for doing this experience. But I, I love that um, Rafi calls out Picard for allowing Q to play games, for allowing him to set these scenarios up for Picard to um, prove who he is to Q. Um, I, but I think does he a- allow him? I mean, I think that's, you know, for me, th- this is great. I mean, Rafi talks, you know, she is disappointed in, mm-hmm. in Picard. I love how she says, I have, you know, really trying to rein it in the emotion and, and, and still, you know, maintain um, some kind of sort of calm where she says, I, I have a profound disappointment in leadership. Absolutely. Um, but I, I do feel she's ultimately blaming Q but it also it involves Picard because that's who he is always directing um his games on exactly and so and he goes along with it now whether he fully has a choice in that and he certainly Picard is always like we saw at the start of episode two and, and the end of episode one he doesn't like doing this. He doesn't like the games himself. Now he might by the the end of it, and maybe there's that twisted side in Picard that does like the games, for sure. Um, but I, I do, I agree. I, I like this attack on yeah. their their games because it does hold everything in the balance. But I suppose that's what's that's what Rafi is getting at. She's saying this has been going on for decades. Yep. So. While Picard can't stop an omnipotent being doing yeah. what an omnipotent being wants to do, it's almost that Batman-Joker question. You yeah. know, Batman being attacked by Joker all the time for decades over and over again, everybody's going, why didn't you kill him at some point? Why didn't you work out a way to take the Joker out for good? And that's Rafi's point. Picard, you've allowed this person to manipulate you, that's push true. everybody that's through true. these scenarios yeah. over and over again. Why didn't you work out a way to, to get rid of him for good at some point you clearly enjoy these games that he plays picard doesn't believe that picard believes he has no choice in this but at some point over these decades rafi is saying why didn't you work out a way you're the you know one of the most intelligent people that everybody knows but you've never worked out a way to get q off your back forever and it's cost it's now cost me my son as yeah what you yeah said. exactly so, no i agree okay yeah. i i honestly don't know if i disagree and that's the, that's the scary part with Rafi. Mm. Like it's it's it is the Batman Joker, and that's the probably that was the best way of describing because I couldn't, I, I I hadn't kind of attached to that, but that is exactly what that what it is, mm. and it's yeah. At a certain point, by like the fifth time, this man mm-hmm. has killed many people and caused so much loss and suffering. Yeah. At a certain point, you need to go. Okay, yeah, you're a bad person. We're going to... You may be omnipotent, 
But we're going to figure this stuff out. Exactly. You think about the, like, the emotion, just not even the physical, but the emotional turmoil. That Q has put the, 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 the cast of Next Generation through, mm-hmm. throughout their seasons and episodes and everything like that. Yeah. It's like to the point where like that last episode of the Next Generation, like alone. Mm-hmm. So you get to a point where like, yeah, I'm kind of on her side. And now there is a point where it's like Rafi, Rafi is making very valid points. Yeah. Picard will need to address them. And I think the addressing, unfortunately, probably won't be that. I don't know if Picard's going to have a good enough answer during, like, at this point, like, or maybe at the by the maybe by the end, where he's like, "I've had enough of these games. Like, this is the end of the game, the final game. This because we remember, this isn't the game. This is a consequence of the game, as per what Q has said. This is the consequence of their actions, not." A new fun and game toy like test. Well, exactly, and this is Rafi's point. So every time that Q has been involved in Picard's life in the past and his experience in the past, it's Picard being taken out of his situation, put through a test, and at the end of it, it comes back. And Picard has had that experience, and pretty much other people haven't had that experience. So people have seen Q, people have interacted with Q, but it is has been focused on Picard of the past. This one's different. And it feels like Picard's treating it like another process he has to go through. And at the end, if, if he plays the game properly, if uh, to use that uh, phrasing that's being used here, if he plays the game properly at the end of the game, it will all resolve and it'll be fine. But Rafi's point is this time it's different. We're all involved. Our lives are on the line and we've just lost Elnor. So, yeah, exactly. Um, so it is, it's a really interesting question to pose. And, I, you know, Michelle Hurd is just acting out of her socks here. Yeah, she's great. Yeah. Really, really good. Really, really good moment. That's my prime director, my big moment from the episode. Um, how about yourself, Chris? I think you've got the last big moment from the episode. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to take it, and it's very much a three actors in a in a scene. Um, it is Gerati interfacing and slowly assimilating mm-hmm. to a degree yeah. with the um, the Borg Queen. Now, some of the science parts of this, I'm not going to lie, went over my head. Of course. I was like, you're doing what now to do the what? Okay. <laughs> but essentially, um, she is kind of, she is interfacing with the, the Borg Queen to steal some information or to at least help the Borg Queen get the information. Mm-hmm. And the what stood out for me was just the pure amazing acting between the these two characters yeah as like she's in my anger center and the the, mm-hmm. the the lines around kind of around pushing Picard and getting his buttons and then she's in the sorrow and yeah. the, like you see that the Jurati kind of wells up mm-hmm. and then just to the end where the, it's essentially the Borg queen is even scarier because you haven't annoyed her. You piqued her interest, and yeah. Jurati has. Love yes. that. And what I was like, oh god, yeah, yeah. What does that mean? Because yeah. and that and like and I know that's what the the writers wanted to make us go. Ooh, this is going to get interesting. Now, <laughs> yeah. Jurati literally is Jurati is going to face the problem with the Borg Queen. But do you know where my head went straight away? 
the Borg Queen we see in episode one mm-hmm. is that Jurati from now. I was that was I was like because they yeah. literally had covered her face, and yeah. I was like, but why if we're already seeing the Borg Queen later? Uh-huh. Because I think that's Jurati from a, this timeline come back in time, and she knows Picard's the only one, and she's slowly going to assimilate. And become the next Borg Queen. It's yeah. entirely possible. And remember on that ship, she's the one that's calling out what the Borg Queen's doing, what she's, what systems she's attacking, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah the, there's, there is a reason why that Borg Queen looks different and why she has a mask on, well, effectively her entire body from Definitely. head to toe, just in case. Definitely. <laughs> but I love the idea that the idea that this could be Jurati uh, in the future. Again, we, we mentioned she's a nervous, kind of innocent character, um, very intelligent uh, and very interesting now to the Borg Queen. So uh, so I love the idea that that could be a yeah. big change for her. She could be the dark side in the future. So it, it does make me wonder whether this entire season now, from here until the end of it, is going to be in 2024 trying to fix this Q problem, or will they fix it and then have another bigger problem to deal with in the future for the rest of the season? It's, it's a, a, Yeah, it'd be interesting. interesting. I mean, I, I think, Chris, totally with you. I love that. Uh, whole sort of foreboding that yeah. happened mm-hmm. with the um you know you've impressed a Borg queen yeah um the other bit i really liked as i said as they go through anger and sadness and you see you know this this slow assimilation and they say um the stronger we become and then picard disconnects and Jurati goes, whose hand is this? And then there's, it's just mine, 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 yeah. bouncing yeah. between Jurati and the Borg Queen. Yeah. And I thought that was just really, really slick. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. The, the writing for this scene again, really, really good because they don't ever take away how dangerous this is to do. You know, they, they set it up from the moment that the Borg Queen looks at Picard and calls him Lacutus. They set it up that if he was the one to do this, he would be taken back over instantly because he still has, she still has all the memories of how he was assimilated. It would be a really quick process. So it's almost a fight against time and acted so well and written so well that, you know, how long does it take the Borg Queen to assimilate someone? Is it 20 minutes? Okay, well, then I'll do this in 19 minutes, 50 seconds, you know. Um, but what if they've got the timing wrong? What if this Borg Queen can assimilate people faster? Will Jurati yeah. be taken over completely, really quickly? You know, yeah. it, I love that they kept that tension and kept the danger um, in this scene just purely through the acting and writing. Really good. Yeah. I, and I think you've hit the nail on the head there. I think Jurati has to go back in and get something else. And the timeline, the timer has already, we've already lost that X amount of time. So you're basically the installation process is already starting at 50% uh-huh. or 80%. <laughs> um, and I think in terms of the, the season, I think we spend the rest of the season on this Q back in time problem. Mm-hmm. And I think the big bad in the season three storyline is this potential Borg Queen Jurati thing. I think that's That'd be cool. because it ends at the beginning because Essentially, you got this. They they jump back in time, and then it's the revealed that Jurati is the Borg Queen because of all these things, and then the race is on to fix the Jurati issue, and that's then your season three because it's already been it's it's filmed, it's a tied link, we know, and then that's the arc. You have the introduction of Jurati. It's actually a Picard Jurati arc. 
There you go. From start to finish. That would be that would be very interesting. We we forget that one of the biggest cliffhangers in the entire history of television was Picard becoming Lakuta Saborg. Yeah. So yeah. potentially the kind of call back to that with Jurati possibly becoming the board queen would be a really interesting way to uh, to set up the finale for season two. Yeah, that yeah. would be really interesting. But all guesswork. Hopefully yes, we're not spoiling course. anything for our wonderful fellow Trekkies and Trekkers because we don't know. We have no idea how the show's going to end. But that's <laughs> If I did, really I would concept. be a millionaire. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's it. So before we move into our tone, kind of overall thoughts and just a quick rundown. Do we have anything else? Yeah, the only note I had uh, from the episode was that I do love that version of California Dreaming that's playing as they arrive into LA, a real, um, a, a, a great version of a song and a, and a song that's always yeah. easily connected to LA. You, I always have that feeling when I hear that song of, oh, I know exactly where I am now. Um, it's a really good use yeah. uh, of that song. Um, yeah, I, the only point I've got is I just like the little superhero reference from uh, Seven as she transports in and there's a kid there playing in the park. And, um, you know, she, she uses, I guess, even in 2024, the obsession with superheroes, uh-huh. um, as, uh, the, the little sort of wink, wink, nudge, nudge to, to ask the, the little girl to keep it secret what she's just seen. So, yeah. So uh, that's like really that. cool. That's Cause there always does need to be, um, someone that sees them. And yeah, of course. I just, you know, I guess it's not going to play out any further, but it, it's that idea that, she becomes something important in the future because of what she's seen. Yeah, that's really that's really nice. Yeah, really nice. Um, we didn't mention it that kind of in the death of Eleanor scene. Just one other thing to mention about it: just his his uh, his mantra or his uh, his idea that um of the way he lives his life is now is the only moment. Um, now where we are right now in this moment is the only important thing, and that's the final line he says to Rafi before yeah. he dies. I thought that was a, a really Beautiful scene. Yeah. Beautiful moment. There it is. Great. Yeah. No, 100%. Uh, nothing from my side. So I think that's it then, gentlemen. Mm-hmm. I think it's time to give our final thoughts and feelings on episode three of season two of Star Trek Picard entitled Assimilation. John, what are your thoughts? Uh, I, I really love this episode. I, I mean, interestingly, I think when I first watched it, I thought it was quite short, quite simple. But in terms of our discussion here today, mm-hmm. I, I, it, it's accelerated beyond, I, I guess, what I was originally thinking I, I would yeah. uh, score this, to be honest. Um, I would give this four and a half Borg legs out of five. <laughs> um, I really, really legs. enjoyed it. You know, significant impact here with Elmer's death mm-hmm. and how that drives everyone on. The great assimilation scene with... Uh, Jurati, Picard, and the Borg Queen. Mm-hmm. Um, there is the whole commentary, at least the initial commentary, uh, on Earth 2024, and loads of different, you know, potential threads that will flow out from this. Yeah. So really, like the Borg's Queen's own tentacles, a lot of tentacles are, are, are shooting out from, mm-hmm. from this episode, I think, for the remainder of the series. And um, yeah, so I would give this four and a half Borg legs out of five. Excellent. I love that. If only she had legs. Yes. Mm-hmm. Derek, what are your thoughts? Um, I, I think shared a lot of our thoughts about the episode, but overall, yeah, loved this one. And I think, John, you're right. I think actually discussing it and thinking about 
what happened in the episode has made me appreciate it even more um, yeah, than I did when watching it. I'm really looking forward to see how all these threads spread out across the season, even just those simple stories of what's happening in 2024. How is Rios going to get back together with uh, with Seven and, and uh, Rafi? Uh, that's interesting enough as a story, but there's so many other bigger threads that they could take on into the rest of the show, which, uh, which is always exciting uh, when you're watching an episode of Star Trek. Chris, how about yourself? I'm going to echo very much pretty much everything we've said here and plus what we kind of talked about. Uh, very similar to John, my initial first view viewing of this whole episode, I was mm-hmm. like, really? That's how they're, 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 they're going to do this and that's how they're going to do a dirty to kind of Elnor. And I think it's through the second watch and then actually through our discussion, I'm like, okay, this is going to be, it's that defining moment. It's that death of Tasha moment, yes. which kind of is referenced potentially into the future mm. and can really just bring the team together and overall just kind of solidify a, a, a single crystallizing moment in the ep- in the mm. season. And it's only when you look back at that and kind of go, oh, okay, well, that was the point that dr- drives X, Y, Z forward. Then that's great. Um, it was that initial first bit. I was like, eh, okay, well, let's, let's, and that's the thing. They delivered in a really good conclusion in season one. Mm-hmm. And I was kind of happy with how it all kind of overall just kind of ended and kind of was pulled together. So I'm very much at this point. All right. Like, tell me the rest of the story. Yeah. You've now got four episodes, five episodes left to completely solidify and tell me why this overall death was important. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, overall, really enjoyed it. I think more so in the second viewing and more so through our discussion. Excellent. But there we have it. I really need a drink. Mm-hmm. Yes, me to, too. To, to pour one out for our homie, our, our, uh, our Romulan homie. Uh, so let's head on over to 10 Forward. Mm-hmm. Yes, it is the 10 Forward pub quiz, fellow quizzes and fellow trekkers. Uh, this episode's question is what cookies does Rios try and bribe the child with in order to get his communication badge back? <laughs> I like it. I like it. I'm liking that there's lots of food and drink questions in your, uh, your 10 <laughs> yes. forward pub quiz this season. <laughs> Hopefully there'll be what bar snack to <laughs> at some point in the future. Uh, but yes, please send in your answers to the 10 forward pub quiz questions for this series of Picard to feedback at tvpodcastindustries.com. You can send them in one at a time or all together uh, right at the end of the, the series. Mm-hmm. Just to give you that pub quiz question once more. What cookies does Rios try and bribe the child with in order to get his communication badge back? Excellent. And remember, you can get your hands on some Picard goodies if you get all the questions right. Um, and the one that pulled out of the hat at the end of the season. Um, looking forward to uh, getting all your answers in as the season goes on. Thanks so much for that, John. Yes. So make sure you get your answers in on the back of a postcard to feedback at TV Podcast Industries to be in with a chance to potentially win a few Picard-themed goodies. There we have it. So, gentlemen, I want to hear some what everyone else thought of episodes one and two of Picard so far. So let's jump in to some feedback. Thanks, Chris. We've gone into the future again with our feedback section. Just myself and John here for this one. Yes. Hello, fellow Trekkies. Uh, <laughs> we're here for feedback. Yes. Firstly, very, very happy St. Patrick's Day to everybody. Yeah. Happy St. Patrick's Day, everyone. Yes. Always like to celebrate St. Patrick's Day in, uh, in 10 Forward uh, with our Irish podcast. 
<laughs> yes, with our Guinness. Exactly, exactly. Need to get a couple of cans of that in <laughs> for the day. Uh, let's get into some feedback. First up, we had an email from Victor Von Doom on episode two. He says, Greetings, Trekkies. Once again, Star Trek has brought a story fitting with the current and upcoming events of our world. Q must not be well at all. He struck Picard. Who is really doing the penance here, though? Is it Picard or Q or both? I was thrilled with the Deep Space Nine references, such as the mention of General Sisko, Dukat, and Martok in this episode. Obviously, Worf did not serve on the Enterprise in this timeline. Well, of course, of course. That's true, yeah. There was a battle with the Klingons, or if they were all wiped out. Worf may have even been wiped out before he uh, went on to the Enterprise, actually. I would suspect he was never on the Enterprise, because he's not human. Well, exactly. This is an entire universe where only humans would be on the the. Uh, confederation ships of course uh victor continues annika's marriage must be of a political na- nature i mean that dude no way would she marry him <laughs> agnes and seven really shine in this episode also nice to see picard getting the whole band back together i'm curious as to soji's status is she even part of this timeline Despite his condition, Q has mixed in the old time travel and alternate universe cards marvellously. Peace and love, Victor Von Doom. Excellent stuff. Thank you, Victor. Um, Yeah, I love that uh, the band is back together Mm -hmm. and seeing Picard do that. I think on Soji's status, there are obviously synthetics in this world. We see um, General Picard's uh, synthetic valet here. Mm -hmm. So it's a question of to what scope and how she is in this world, potentially, yeah. I guess. And didn't they also mention that Picard's body was is synthetic because of an attack from um, from General Martok? So, um, or Gul Dukat? It was one of the one of the two that they said that it was that that's why he has a synthetic body. In the other timeline, Soji is uh, the product of those types of synthetic bodies. So, it's entirely possible we're going to see Soji in some way in the future. Now we are here. In this episode, in episode three, we've traveled back, traveled back in time now, so we're not seeing what's going on in that alternate timeline anymore. So um, it's just entirely possible that we could see that Soji did have some kind of impact in that world, and that's why we didn't see her in there, because it's a bigger impact. Maybe. Yeah, and we do see Dr. Soong as well That's um, right. in the kind of panning shot of uh, San Francisco in the world of the Confederation. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And... A nice, interesting thing to pull in here um, that I learned when these episodes started coming out. Um, the husband of Annika in this timeline, the president's husband, um, is played by Issa Brionis's father. So Soji, who, who was played by Issa Brionis in the first season, her father is playing Annika's husband. Ah, excellent. So isn't that yeah, really yeah. interesting? Now, I don't know whether there's any connection going to be brought into the show at all about that, but I just think it's really interesting that they brought him on board uh, in a significant role when Soji doesn't have a role so far this season other than the little moment at the beginning of the uh, beginning of the season. Yeah, excellent stuff. Uh, thanks, Victor, yeah, for, thanks, Victor, for the feedback. We also got some Facebook feedback on episode two as well. Dan Lee says... That was a heck of an episode, mm-hmm. although I think I missed out for not being a big Star Trek fan, especially when Q was talking about the skulls. I only knew who one of the people mentioned was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it really was, Dan. Um, a great episode. And yes, the skulls, a big talking point. Um, I guess they should be in everyone's homes. Um, <laughs> really draws the eye into mm-hmm. the um, 
into the decoration and fixtures of Although, the room, I I'm, guess. I'm not sure about slaughtering multiple species to have them up well, in your I, home. I no guess doubt. it's like rhino heads or, and all that kind of yeah. stuff on people's walls. Yeah, still wouldn't appreciate doing that in our Trying home. Trying to show John. superiority, I guess. Yeah. yeah, possibly, possibly. We're not doing it in our house, John, definitely. No, definitely not. <laughs> Only stuffed heads here. Exactly, well. Fluffy toy Teddy bears. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I know that room did feel like a real um, Easter egg room, as we said. Um, there was a little touch of it shown on the after show that's hosted by Will Wheaton uh, that did show um, that room and how it was built. And they went into a little bit of detail. You know, for example, uh, the person that created the Ferengi head was weighing up whether the Ferengis would have bones in their ears or not. You know, that kind of stuff. It was yeah. a little bit of fun but wasn't as deep dive into who every, every head was and what every weapon was. So we may be coming back to that room later on in the series. Possibly. Yeah, we could be. Yeah, yeah. Will who? Will Wheaton. Yes. Very good. I know you love that, John. <laughs> uh, Jamie Lawson also says on Facebook, first skull was Ferengi, which could be a reference to his first action on the Stargazer when it was attacked by the Ferengi at the Battle of Maxia. And he came up with the Picard manoeuvre as reference in the Next Generation episode, The Battle. Oh, very good, Jamie. Good stuff. Very yeah. good. We also heard reference to the Picard manoeuvre itself in the show as well from, um, for I think it was the final episode of, of season one um, when they were taking over the ship and they were going into battle. Uh, Jurati's asking him, does he want to call his new manoeuvre the Picard manoeuvre and then realises, oh, that's in the handbook. There already is a Picard manoeuvre. So, uh, so that would be a nice little tie-in as well. But that's cool that it ties into the Stargazer, given the importance of the Stargazer in the show. Definitely. Yeah, thanks, Jamie, and thanks, Dan, for uh, your thoughts there. Really good. Absolutely. Heather Wallace also shared some thoughts over on Facebook as well. She said, I just finished watching this episode and came to hear your thoughts. Love Q being meta and an audience stand-in, particularly the name drops for Yesterday's Enterprise and the Mirror Universe. I was waiting for a reference to Tapestry, which is one of the other times he interfered with Jean-Luc's timeline. Yesterday's Enterprise isn't a Mirror Universe episode. The timeline had been changed and only Guinan was aware something was different. It was a causal loop. History changes because the older Enterprise went through the time anomaly to the present day and history was only restored by it completing its loop of going back in time. Although I do like Derek's point that Mirror Universe episodes aren't about our heroes trying to change anything. They just want to survive and get back to their own universe. <laughs> I like that too because it always feels like it's an even more dangerous universe because it's like all the uh, Star Trek characters are throwing their hands up going, well, I can't fix this. I just want to get out of here alive. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, Heather says, the Macbeth reference brought back the wonderful memory of seeing St Patrick Stewart perform that role on Broadway in 2008. He was so good in it. I read that he approached the role as if he was one of the aging Russian generals at the collapse of the USSR vying for power. Such a wonderful actor. I've yeah, never seen really, him on stage, really but, good. Absolutely. Yeah. And interestingly, um, in a recent interview with uh, Patrick Stewart, I think it was for the Guardian newspaper, one of the roles from Shakespeare that he hasn't done is King Lear. Oh, yeah. Uh, that he would love to do. But because now of his age and the length of production runs in mm -hmm. a week uh, for the, the production to be successful or at least make money, then he's not entirely sure whether he could wrangle it to do just six 
shows of King Lear in in a week or whether he would have to do I think it was the eight or ten. Ooh, but wow. you know he he says it's one of the things that he hasn't actually done uh, in the in the Shakespeare wheelhouse. Oh, yes. I, Interesting. I, I smell the, a movie version coming up instead uh, where they <laughs> yeah, were kind exactly. of just, which is like <laughs> Heather continues as creepy as the skulls were. I was hoping just a teensy bit that one would be Gul Madred, the Cardassian that tortured Picard in Chain of Command. Ooh, how many lights are there, John? Uh, four lights. I see four lights. Uh, nice. That would be so good and so and, and such great payback, I suppose, for our Picard uh, if he had to, to take the head of Gul Madred. Uh, but I presume General Picard just never got into that situation with uh, Gul Madred. I guess that's that's what it is. But it would have been just lovely uh, to see that as a little nod to it. Uh, Heather says, I love Elnor and Rafi's parental relationship. So sweet how she protects him and also how open he is with hugging his friends when they're reunited. Yes, definitely. Mm. His uh, absolute candor is not necessarily best placed for the subterfuge that this group have to do, yeah. uh, given the eyes of the Confederation are everywhere. Absolutely, absolutely. Heather says, I'm also enjoying the variety of Romulan accents. I like imagining that Alaris is a fan of Ballycus Angel <laughs> and Elnor had a secret stash of very, very old Wiggles, Bananas and Pajamas and Bluey recordings. <laughs> uh, Aussie Romulans and Irish Romulans. Uh, Raffi and Elnor were on the Excelsior when the Stargazer self-destructed. It was nearby, but was Q just looking for anyone in the vicinity with a connection to Picard to send along? That is one of the open questions that I have as well, Heather, that the idea of why is it that it's only Picard's uh, core group of people that are brought along by Q into this alternate timeline, especially ones that are on different ships at the time, you know? So why did he bring along all of these people alone? And it does seem to be because this is punishment for Picard. So, of course, it would be his closest people that they bring along, not just anybody that happened to be on the Stargazer when the attack was happening. That's true. That yeah. is true. I mean, I was saying that even if they did all come along, it wouldn't be that they were necessarily trying to meet up. They wouldn't yeah. know... What was going on? They could have been captured by the Confederation. Um, Possibly, yeah. yeah. I think it is now just simply it's those with a close connection to Picard. Yeah, it feels like they're the only ones that were pulled in because you probably see Rios going after his crew, trying to find his crew in this alternate timeline if they had been pulled through. It, yeah, it is his crew of the Stargazer, exactly. so he'd probably be quite beholden to finding them. So um, so I'm sure that's something we'll find out in the future when we get more of uh, what Q's plan actually is. Finally, Heather says, sorry for the long post, but it is interesting that the ranks are changed from Navy to Army ranks. Admiral and General are the same rank as our Navy Captain and Army Colonel. Uh, Rios's new rank. I know in the show it's meant to show how militaristic the Confederation is, but the Navy is still part of the military, and in the case of the British Empire, responsible for plenty of invasions. <laughs> that's very true. It's yeah. very true. But it is. I think that's something that I thought pointed to the fact that this is the mirror universe because I think in the mirror universe they have um, the ranks are all army ranks, and in the regular universe of Star Trek that we know, all of those ranks are coming from coming from navy ranks so i always thought that was the differentiator but not here not in this case yeah no that's true i mean it's interesting isn't it because because it's talked about as a fleet yeah then it makes sense for the the navy ranks it's anyone from the the navy or army or scientists going mm. into that but i, I think also it, it's quite heavily focus around the air forces yes so, that's true. again a very different kind of idea but yeah um yeah it's I, I think it's just to make that difference i guess you you sometimes the army is that 
grunt of the force, you know. Okay. And I'm, I'm not necessarily saying that maybe correct, but you know, they're they're the the boots on land. Yeah, I get you. Yeah. You know, yeah. attacking, colonizing, and so on, yeah. and sometimes air and naval are seen as support functions for that mm. in terms of supply, in terms of landings uh, and that kind of thing. Yeah, it's, al- it's also very rare that you'd have a an airplane traveling around uh, the world over and over again with a whole crew that are on there all the time. Whereas I think with Gene Roddenberry's track, the original version of it was kind of, he was equating it to the Navy because yeah. a whole Navy ship going out well, and exploring. Well, an exploration... Yeah during the time of sale, then it did take that long. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Very interesting thoughts from you there, Heather. Thanks so much for sending in your thoughts. And thanks to everybody else who sent in their emails and messages to us. We'd love to hear more from you about the rest of the season. Please make sure you keep emailing us to feedback at TV Podcast Industries uh, or go onto our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash TV Podcast Industries. Yes, thanks so much, Heather. Our final piece of feedback for this week comes in from Matt Murdock with the second part of his music analysis for the theme of Star Trek Picard this season. I really enjoyed part one of Matt's uh, of Matt's thoughts. Uh, looking forward to hearing part two. Yes, indeed. Take it away, Matt. Hello, John, Derek and Chris. Just wanted to say I really enjoyed episode two of season two. Last time around, I talked about how one part of the Picard theme from season one was changed harmonically in order to create a darker sounding theme or a more tense kind of theme. And I didn't get to the second part, the main melody, so I thought I'd do that this time. Once again, uh, a snippet of the main melody, it sounds like this. And the way that we primarily heard that being harmonized was with a stringed instrument, but it was also done in a very major chord kind of way. Major chords tend to make us feel happy. Minor chords tend to make us feel more tense or darker. And the season one theme was primarily happier. So most of the time, the melody was harmonized like this. And as you get to the end of the season two version of the theme, you get that again. But that's not the first way you hear that melody phrased. In fact, you hear that melody phrased two entirely different ways before that final phrasing that sounds like that. First, you get it with those same kind of staccato string lines that create tension the same way I discussed last time. You get it phrased over this. The same kind of harmony uses, the use of that tritone to create tension, is in this phrasing as well. And that makes it feel like it needs to go somewhere. But because we're locked in, we can't. And that makes us feel uncomfortable as human beings. And there was another more legato way of phrasing it with the cello as well. But it went lower than the harmony implied over the top of it. And the harmony was different. 
rather than centering on what we call the one chord, which tends to make things sound happier in this particular case of a key, it was centered around the minor six chord. And these numbers aren't important, really. But what you need to know is that it then kind of juxtaposes this melody over minor sounds, which tend to sound darker, like this. And one of the things rhythmically that I found interesting was that staccato separation in both of those instances. Legato tends to make things feel smooth, like an ice skater skating over the ice, whereas staccato uh, feels very short, and you can almost think of it like a conversation, like somebody being very short with you. It creates tension, and that's what these little jabs of chords do as opposed to long chords being held out. So you have both the minor harmonization and the staccato making this theme darker than it was in the season one version. And I'm just going to point out really quickly the two differences at the end of each of these themes. At the end of the season one version, we got a little snippet of the melody from the Star Trek The Next Generation theme. At the end in the flute of season one, you get this. Now, at the end of the Season 2 version, you get something that's also been incorporated into what we think of as Star Trek Next Generation as well, but it actually originated, I believe, from the Star Trek movies, or maybe even the original series. I'm having trouble remembering now, but the end of the Season 2 theme ends with this. And to me, it's kind of interesting that Mr. Russo chose this because this season seems to be focusing on the past. They have to go back to the past to change something or to fix something, I suppose. Or it could just be the fact that Russo likes using little snippets of the original melodies at the end of his pieces. Anyway, that's all I've got, guys. Really enjoyed episode two. Looking forward to episode three. Take care. That's great stuff, Matt. Really, really enjoyed um, that. Just as you say, the 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 confined on edge element that the mm-hmm. staccato uh, brings to this, and just the added tension and darkness, or or you know something not feeling quite right. Exactly. Um, and certainly when you compare it uh, as you did that with the season one, which was much more kind of warm and fuzzy and mm-hmm. um, so yeah that was really um really good stuff really yeah. enjoy uh your musical uh analysis and and takes on on uh, the shows that we cover really really good yeah absolutely thanks so much matt for that and that was really interesting that you're pointing out about the changeover from the next generation theme that we knew from season one into the original star trek theme tune um that's really interesting that's that's how the original theme tune started as far as i remember before we get the soprano coming in and singing uh that that bit that everybody used to sing along to on tv yes. i'm not going to sing along to it because i can't it's too yeah. high it's too yeah. high no me. that's it there's the original <laughs> uh theme tune 
when Gene Roddenberry's name comes up, but mm-hmm. also yeah, there's the, the the next generation as well. Yeah, yeah, very cool. Thanks so much, Matt, and thanks everybody again for your feedback. Keep sending it in. We'll go back in time to me, John, and Chris to say goodbye. Back in time. See, it's time travel, John. Woo-hoo. That's almost the Star Trek original theme tune. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right. Bye. Bye. It's time to wrap up this episode and move forward into finding the watcher in episode four of Picard. If people really enjoy it, they can head on over to tvpodcastindustries.com and subscribe to each and every episode of our shows. Don't forget, recently we just covered all of the boys diabolical. Mm-hmm. It was good. It was diabolically good. It was. Some may say. What a very different show. <laughs> uh, definitely to Picard. Um, and uh, not for kids, I would no. say. <laughs> even though it is Laser Baby's day yes. out. That was even that was pretty brutal. Um, yes, it was. Yeah, lots of lots yeah. of uh, lots of blood and lots of gore in in that show, but a very different show. And we tend to cover very different shows on TV Podcast Industries. But as Chris said, you can get access to all of those episodes at tvpodcastindustries.com. You can also join us over on our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash TV Podcast Industries if you want to chat with us about any of the episodes that you've been watching or any of the episodes that we've been covering. Uh, thanks so much for joining us for this episode. We'll talk to you again next time. Yes, and if, like Rafi, you have a few extra US dollars in your pocket because you've knocked out some guy trying to mug you, don't forget to head on over to patreon.com slash TV Podcast Industry where you can give us a few US dollars just to help us keep the lights on and help keep the podcast engine running. You can also keep our producer in extraordinaire in coffee by heading on to buymeacoffee.com slash TVPI and for just a one-off payment, Get him a coffee. Mm-hmm. Much appreciated. But we do know that in this other timeline, it could also be a dark Colombian roast or an Earl Grey hot or cold, depending on your tipple choices. <laughs> Excellent. Thanks so much. Speak to you again next time. Yeah. Speak to you again soon. Thanks so much. Bye. Yes. Thanks so much, fellow Trekkies, for joining us. Remember, keep watching, keep listening, and keep trekking. Bye.